0: Thank you again for supporting our podcast, Redefining Family. This is your host, Jonathan Wilson, and welcome back to yet another week and another episode. Today's episode is called Showing Up for the Ones You Love. Well, I'm recording this intro from my JW Marriott hotel room in San Francisco following the Men Having Babies Conference. I went into the weekend a little nervous because this is the weekend that I was about to learn everything that I needed to know going through the surrogacy process as a single father. I met with surrogacy agencies, egg donor banks, IVF clinics, and much more. I learned all about the fixed cost and the variable costs. I even attended a medical panel that discussed how the embryo is developed through blastosis. It's been intense. It's been actually a good week, but a little, you know, a lot to learn. I feel so equipped for my journey, I have to say, and I have a good sense of what my immediate next steps are as you know, the full process for me won't really start until the end of this year, like November or December. But uh, I will have milestones planned for each month. And you know, I'm also planning on further defining my budget and putting together a project plan. And you guys will hear all about it along the way. So thank you again to Men Having Babies for giving me a crash education in one weekend on surrogacy and egg donation, as well as an introduction to vetted providers who work with single gay dads and couples. This is the beginning of my journey to add more people to my family. So that's part of my redefining family journey. Anyways, so with that said, you may actually learn a lot more about me in the sex episode as I interview Eric Matos. There's a side of me that I haven't really talked about much. It wasn't because I was hiding something, it just really never came up. So in addition to running my own company, I'm also The president of the UCLA Anderson Black Alumni Association. And I also happen to be the chair of the social justice task force for the entire city of West Hollywood. And that's where I both live and work. So These two roles really just add so much value to my life just because I can focus on uplifting people who may be marginalized among some of the other more dominant racial groups. My mission pretty much in life is really always focus on uplifting BIPOC people with an occasional focus on LGBTQ plus equality and equity, I should say. With that said, let's introduce our next guest, Eric Matos. Take it away. All right, so I'm really excited about this this next guest. He's become a friend of mine in in recent uh, months here, Eric Matos. He is a public policy specialist with nearly a decade of experience in state and local government. Wow. He currently works for a public health insurance plan that provides affordable coverage to over 2 million low-income Los Angeles County residents. He holds a master's degree in public health with a concentration in health services and policy from the University of Southern California, we all know that I went to UCLA, but we forgive him for USC. Eric grew up in a religious family in Central California, having struggled internally for years before finally accepting his identity as a gay man. He now lives in West Hollywood with his partner, John, who I love, and their beloved dog, Nico. <laughs> so, Eric, welcome. So so glad to have you on the show. Thank you. So excited to be here. It's crazy. I think we just bonded right off the bat. I think uh, you're just such an, you're such an amazing guy you get stuff done, I think. And that's, that's some of the stuff I like. That's like all current day stuff. How did, how did you get the way you are? Like tell me a little bit about growing up. You said you grew up in a religious family. What does that mean yes. for you? And then, you know, maybe tell us in where in central California, do you want to, do you want to say the actual location? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I grew up uh, in
1: kind of splitting time because my parents divorced when I was at a young age Um I grew up splitting my time between Los Panos, California, which is the most northern tip of the Central Valley. Uh, you know, it's very rural and agricultural based. Uh, so small town vibes. I think our population of the city had less than 40,000 people when I was growing up. Um, it's grown since then, but small town vibes nonetheless. Yep. And my father uh, resides in Monterey, California, which is quite different. <laughs> it is a coastal community uh, off. The central coast—it's beautiful, very close to Big Sur and Pebble Beach, and just a gorgeous uh, natural area for uh, you know our coastline in the in the state. So highbrow and
0: lowbrow, would you say?
1: I, I would say so. I would say that um, Los Banos is much more of a as a middle class working community. You know, like I said, there's a lot of uh, you know small business and agriculture uh, are predominantly the industries that fuel that area, and there's a lot of people that actually commute. Into San Jose, it's it is very much a commuter town. Um, so they'll commute, they'll commute to San Jose or that area over what's called the Pacheco Pass on the one fifty two. So it's a very diverse community. Lots of uh, Latino people there. I am Puerto Rican. Uh, my dad grew up uh, in Puerto Rico. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Puerto, Puerto Ricanio. <laughs> oh,
0: oh, my my Puerto my Puerto could have worked on it. <laughs> anyway. Puerto okay. uh, yeah all right. that'll be a lesson that'll be our next episode we focus on how do we say it the right way con acento, con acento. We don't have to get off topic, but barico is that is that a thing? Boricoa is a thing, yes okay, but boricua is for women though
1: um yeah, there's feminine context to it, oh got it okay
0: I'm oh, sorry for the feminine,
1: I should say for the feminine
0: context, yes,
1: yeah, I mean it it is all you know. Boricua, Morena. Yeah, you know, exactly, that's what it's called. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, really old school.
0: school. I, hey, I sorry not heard back, back to your heritage. <laughs> yeah, so
1: my, my dad grew up uh, on the island of Puerto Rico. Uh, and uh, my mom actually grew up in San Jose, California, so Bay Area ish. And uh, her, her parents are from Puerto Rico as well. So uh, a lot of Puerto Rican heritage in my family. And, uh, you know, my parents divorced at an early age. My dad uh, is Catholic, and my mom is uh, very Christian. So, you know, it was a very, very religious family that I grew up in. It was a big uh, driver in, you know, uh, decision making and family values and things like that.
0: Did you grow up both Christian and Catholic? Or did you end up growing up more Catholic? What was that like?
1: So I grew up more on the Christian side. Uh, You know, I attended church with my mom, but I did go also go with my dad. My dad was, I would say he was Catholic, but he wasn't uh, a traditional good Catholic that's, you know, doing mass in church all the time. Right. He attended, you know, a lot of the times, but it wasn't, he was much less, I would say much less of a frequent flyer than my mother was.
0: Yeah, got it. So, tell me how that, did that play into your life when you started realizing that you're gay? How did you realize that you were first gay? You know, it
1: it always comes at an early age, and I feel like, you know, you start to kind of just notice boys more. You just start to kind of gravitate that way, and there's a really, you know, growing up in a religious household, there's a really interesting and, and a bit sad, there's a kind of confliction, right, where... It's like you're learning that traditional family values, you know, man and woman, you know, you procreate that kind of thing. And you kind of, you know, want to do that because that's what you've been told is the right way. Right. You're conflicted with it. I think that I started noticing, uh, you know, I would say in junior high, for sure. And by high school, I knew that I was in a full on uh, struggle with it. Interesting. I would actually, when I was really involved in, in the church. I would actually pray that, that God would help me uh, with my sin. And that sin being that I was a gay man. You try to pray the gay away, you try to participate and be actively involved. I was just going to say that.
0: Pray the gay away. Yeah,
1: it is very real. I mean, I, I would attend church gatherings, church camps. You know, my one of my main prayers was, you know, God help me deal with this, help me uh, to be, you know, a good. Christian son. And that was very, very difficult uh, at an early age, you know, going through that and having that type of internal conflict and, you know, not really having any uh, gay role models or friends in my life to be able to talk about that with. So it was a very uh, lonely place at times, but you really learn a lot about yourself, allows for a lot of internal reflection, and it really helps you kind of like be able to okay, like, you know, this, eventually you you come to this point where you're like, this is who I am. You know, this isn't going to go away.
0: Did you know any gay people growing up? Did you think that you were the only one? I mean,
1: I didn't really know many gay people. I knew there was one openly, God bless him. He was so brave. One openly gay student at my high school. Hmm. You know, and I admired him because I I always admire his courage. But he took a lot of, you know, to be frank, bullying um, from other people and people that weren't understanding or accepting people that also grew up in, you know, religious community or grew up in church. And, you know, that wasn't, quote unquote, the norm. So I think that I didn't really open up, open myself up in that way. That was the extent of my interaction with the LGBTQ community
0: when I was growing up. Well, you saw what he was going through and you probably just didn't feel safe. I feel like that's a natural reaction. Absolutely. I'm sorry to hear that. Tell me a little bit more around when you first realized that you had to tell your family, or I should say your blood relatives, depending on how you define it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I tried really hard to be straight. I dated women, you know, in high school and through my early years of undergraduate school. And, you know, I tried my best. I think that I accepted it myself around when I was a sophomore in college, I would say sophomore, junior in college. I had a, uh, you know, it's just like all of these, you know, now you're seeing a lot of uh, queer and LGBTQ representation in Netflix. And you see all of these videos, all of these movies and TV shows where it's, you know, in high school you or college, you have this like kind of in the closet relationship. And I had one of those in college. Um, you know, I told people that I was dating a uh, woman who went to UCLA, your alma mater. Is that why
0: you went to (laughs) USC? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Fight on, by the way. But but, uh, yeah, you know, I was actually in this gay relationship and uh, it was very deep. and, And at that point, you know, that first relationship, I knew I was like, okay, this is not, this is not like, anything else, you know, like, this is real, you know, this isn't, you know, dating women, this is something totally different. So I think that's when I came to terms with myself, when I came to terms with my family was a little later, you know, it was when I was uh, senior year leaving uh, undergraduate school. And I, I kind of, you know, had this moment, this epiphany moment, where I was like, I cannot live the rest of my life this way. You know, I cannot continue to be untrue to myself, and, uh, you know, I had watched a documentary about LGBTQ seniors who came out later in life, you know, they, they were coming out in their 60s and their 70s, and they had been married, and maybe they'd been widowed, or they had been in, you know, straight relationships. And then they learned that, you know, they kind of finally came to turn with their identity later in life. And I was watching this document, I forget what it's even called, but they were all saying, I wish I would have done this sooner. And I was like, I cannot be one of these people. I cannot be a six-year-old man and saying, "Why didn't I live authentically?" That was at that point. I was like, I have to tell my mom. I think I was like driving home from a trip in Palm Springs. You know, <laughs> from
0: White something. Party? Were you, driving, were, you, were you coming back from White Party or something?
1: No, it wasn't White Party, but it was uh, Palm Springs Pride. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mom, I got something to tell you. You know where I was. Now, let me tell you, you know you're gay after you leave Palm Springs Pride. Okay. Yeah. So-
0: confirmed.
1: <laughs> yeah, con- confirmed. You heard it here, here. You heard it first here, folks. So I was leaving Palm Springs Pride. I was by myself in the car, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to call my mom. And I called her, and I said, hey, mom. I'm leaving Palm Springs and I'm gay. You know? <laughs> I know it's... You said, it, said it just like that. You didn't say hello. I think it was... I, I can't recall exactly... I anyway, mean. no, no. I'm with you,
0: though. Like, what was her... It was very... Very straightforward.
1: Very straightforward. Um, there was a moment of silence. There was a moment of silence. It wasn't exactly those words, but it was very straightforward that way. Like, I called and I was like, I just have to blurt this out. You know what I mean? And uh, I was like, you know, Mom, I'm gay. You know, I'm coming home from Palm Springs. I've always known. You know, uh, I'm just coming to terms with it now. I've been in gay relationships. I just want you to know that I, you know, I love you, and I'm still your son. I just, you know, this is just who I am, and I have to accept myself and I have to love myself. You know, she. There was a moment of silence, and you know, I think that she was really caught off guard and surprised, and then she kind of, you know, she started to, you know, mention. Uh, you know, the way that we were raised and, you know, it being a phase and, you know, it being a product of, you know, kind of exposure to new cultures and things like that.
0: Mom, I don't think that Nick is really a phase for me, at least.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, Mom, this is permanent. I'm leaving Palm Springs Pride right now. I've been to L.A. Pride at this point. Like, I am just like, I'm there's this is it yeah I mean, you know it took a while. you know I let I gave her the space to kind of reflect and and you know kind of um, reconcile her beliefs uh, with who her son was, and she came around. you know it, it took a while it was a it was a long road, um, a lot of discussions and kind of like, the, no, mom, this is who I am, this is who this is what I need to do to be happy. I need to come out, like you know, and I know that you want what's best for me and you want me to be happy, this is the only way I'm going to be able to do that. And, I, you know, she eventually came around. And I think that it really helps her kind of, you know, realize, you know, at, at that juncture, it's it's not about, you know, these religious beliefs that you have. It's about, you know, knowing and having a, a gay son and just being able to, you know, want to see them happy and and to... Support them, and and I think that she's done a great job of doing that since. Um, but yeah, it did take us a while to get there.
0: That's interesting. What about your dad?
1: He definitely knows. Uh, I we have a kind of different situation. He you know, he tells me he loves me and he supports me no matter what. It's just one of those things where we don't talk about it as much. He's very supportive, and like I said, he's come a long way as well. And this has really helped my parents kind of open their minds to new, you know, views and new beliefs and new ways to be supportive. So, that, you know, this has really helped. We're Latino. It's, there's this machismo kind of hyper-masculine culture within the Latino culture uh, for males. And, but he's, he's very supportive and, uh, you know, he tells me he loves me and, he wishes me the best and we talk right, regularly. So a bit of a different road, but I definitely have more of an open discussion about it with my mom, you know? Uh, so,
0: yeah. I think it's interesting, right? So I do recognize that Latino machismo, right? Um, does play a huge role in that. Did your father say nasty things when you first found out?
1: No, no, he did not. And, and I'm, I'm very grateful because I know that that is not, that's not always the case
0: especially yeah, in, our, in our black and Latino communities, that's true. It's like, you know,
1: I'm very blessed in that way because there are definitely people in uh, the Latino community that, you know, come out to their fathers and, and they're, they're called names and, and kind of ridiculed. Uh, so I'm very grateful that he didn't have that reaction.
0: How does this play in, your, in the rest of your family? Were there family members that, were, that you had to let go of because of you being gay?
1: There's family members that I knew were going to be very supportive. And there's family members that I knew that it was going to be a long road. You know, I knew it was going to be a long road. You know, I knew that it was going to be, you know, kind of this ongoing discussion. And it's actually, over the most recent years, been really great. I don't think I've completely cut anyone out of my life. I think that, you know, there were friends that uh, definitely uh, became less involved in my life. And, and that's okay. You know, I, I think, you know, and the initial kind of reaction to some of my family, you know, it was like, I knew that they were just taking space to kind of get their minds wrapped around. And, yeah. and I, yeah, but I think we're, we're all in a good place now and, and everyone is on board. So I'm, I'm blessed in that way.
0: What advice would you give to, I mean, it took you a long time to feel comfortable coming out. And I have to imagine that some of that might've been, fear. Absolutely. Fear from what you've been taught, both from religion and from what's inherent typically in Latino culture. What advice do you give someone else who is currently in that situation from a from a child perspective? Absolutely. I think that the first thing is that you need to have people in your
1: circle that are there to support you, um, whether that, you know, whether that be friends uh, that you come out to first, you know, I I had a handful of friends that I started to come out to and like let them know, hey, you know, I'm gay. Some of them were shocked
0: and some of them weren't. Were you wearing a rainbow tie dye when, when you told them? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had a big,
1: I had a big rainbow <laughs> <flag> shirt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there were, there were definitely some people that were not surprised. Yeah. But, You know, I think it's really important that you identify people that can be supportive and uh, be an ear and and give you kind of advice and be there for you. It takes a lot of courage to come out. You know, I practiced what I would say for a while, but then I realized that authenticity isn't always scripted.
0: That's a great quote. Authenticity isn't always scripted. Yes, I I agree with that.
1: It's not. And that's what made me want to call my mom driving home from Bob's Weeks Pride. I was like, how am I going to sit here and try to have the perfect conversation? I just need to have the conversation. When I was, and I was ready. So you know, when you're ready, have the conversation. It does not need to be perfect. Um, it does not need to be rehearsed. You don't need to sit. There's no right or wrong thing to say. It's just being true and authentic to yourself. So I think that that's something important to remember. And then you know. Second of all, is you know, be patient. Be patient. I have a lot of friends that came out. You know, when they were had a completely different experience than I did. They came out in high school. You know, to a family that welcomed them with open arms. That's a great thing. That's a blessing. That's a privilege. Um, and and I'm I think that's great. But that's not the reality for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think that we need to be mindful of that. There are some people that are going to take time. And maybe there's some people that don't come around, but you just need to be prepared to, you know, make the right decision for you and your life and to be happy, to be your authentic self. Um, so I think that those are things that I would keep in mind, you know, as, you know, someone that's coming out that may not uh, know if their family is going to be
0: supportive. And now let's pivot, let's pivot a little bit more to your current day. I mean, you are very involved in the city of West Hollywood, from not just only a personal standpoint, but also also from a political standpoint and professional standpoint. So, I would love for you to talk a little bit about how this shows up in your city council
1: work. So, just for context for everyone listening, uh, I currently serve uh, on a commission in the city of West Hollywood. I'm on the business license commission. I, you know, try to stay actively involved in my community. I think that I'm very lucky to live in a city that is so bold and inclusive as West Hollywood, uh, one that you know, says we are together as a community, we welcome everybody from all backgrounds, from all uh, sexual identities. It's a wonderful place. Very fortunate to live here. I think that when we're in this progressive bubble, that is a wonderful thing. It's easy to forget that not everybody comes from that environment. Mm. It's easy to forget that not everybody has you know the picture perfect relationship with their family after they come out and that a lot of those folks that grew up, um, a lot of those people that grew up you know with challenges like I had, um, they come to this community to seek refuge and it's important that we do work that allows them to have the space to express themselves but also to feel included in our community, included in you know whether that be, local government or community groups or whatever, you know, their wherever their passions lie. Yeah, I try to bring that perspective in. And I know that there are a lot of great people that had very similar upbringings to mine, where they were from, you know, maybe a more, um, a less progressive area. And, uh, you know, the council member that, that appointed me, uh, John Erickson, he's from Wisconsin. I mean, he grew up there. And I know that uh, his family's come around and everything, but you know he has a great perspective in this area, and he actually uh, you know has studied at a, you know to a PhD level religion and you know and religious studies. So I think that there are a lot of folks here that are working to kind of uh, inform the city's work to different experiences, life experiences, and different community members and their identities and and all of that. So I think that. It's a great place and, and anytime that I can bring perspective, and but not also just not only bringing perspective, I think it's really important that we all listen. We need to give other people a platform to, to give their experiences, to share their experiences. And that's, that's what's important. Today, I attended a lesbian visibility day in WeHo Park. Okay. And it was a great event. It was wonderful. City Council was there. Council member Shine has been a huge uh, now, Mayor Pro Temshine has been a huge uh, advocate for the lesbian community here in the city. We're lucky to have her. I submitted a question to this panel, and I was like, "How can our gay brothers support our lesbian sisters and non-binary family?"
0: Well, we, we show up for you. Me. Yes, I like that exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. And the, and the sentiment was to show up and listen. And I think that a lot of times in the gay in the LGBTQ movement. If you look at, you know, the AIDS epidemic in the 80s to, you know, the fight for marriage equality, it feels like gay men have felt like they're the center of it. But we have to remember that we are all one community and we need to show up for our, you know, lesbian sisters and non-binary family who are on the front lines with us. And uh, we need to, you know, support them in any way we can. And that, that huge part of that is listening.
0: And let's not forget that it was Edie Windsor, a lesbian, who actually helped us get the marriage equality. So, yep. let's not forget that. So, exactly, uh, I appreciate your voice on that for sure. What does your future look like? What are you thinking about, just in terms of how you want to? Do you think you want to have kids? Do you think how does that how does that shape out? I mean, eventually, I'm not, I'm not sorry, not put it, trying to put pressure or anything. <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> but I mean, in your, but you know, where do you see yourself from that standpoint? Have you reimagined what your future looks like? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: You know, when you're a, a kid in the closet in a small town, you're, you're told that you want, you know, the wife and the kids with a picket fence and, you know, and that has changed, but I think in a more positive way, you know, in a more realistic way, I, I'm in a very loving and supportive relationship with uh, my partner, John, right now, and he's so he's nice, wonderful. He's, <laughs> yes. he's the nicest guy ever. He's from Wisconsin. By the way, just real quick, there's two Johns from Wisconsin in my life. One of them is council member Erickson, and the other one is my partner, John. But, yeah. you know, we have a great loving and supportive relationship.
0: Actually, a lot of people have Johns in their life, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right. I <laughs> anyway, keep oh, going. God, different,
1: different kind of John. Of, <laughs> uh, yeah, we have a great uh, loving relationship. I think that kids uh are in the cards sometime in the future and I think that that is a wonderful thing. And you know, right now we have a little fur baby. We have a little fur baby. His name is Nico. He's my whole world. So we're we're getting in practice with uh our adoption right now. Yeah, we have a a wiener dog named nico and, and he's right now our kid so we're getting into practice
0: yeah i mean you're young so yeah that's 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 all. i mean yes no no plan to have kids probably should be in the near near future let me ask you this so how do you define the the family that you have and i don't like to and on this show we talk a lot about what family means to us meaning that we don't like to qualify the word family a chosen family like you shouldn't use words like that like that's I, I want, don't want to shit anybody, but I'm just saying in general, Like, if someone's a family member, they're a family member, why qualify it? But on the other hand, if they are a blood relative who treats you like crap, then they get demoted. <laughs> they are no yeah. longer. They don't deserve that title of family, right? Absolutely, I agree. Tell us a little bit about what, how you define the people that surround you in the term family.
1: You know, I think that the biggest thing With any, you know, with family, is that you show up. You show up, you know, and be supportive. You show up and listen and be uh, there for your family member, you know, whether that's a blood relative or uh, someone that's very close in your life. I think that I'm very big on keeping a solid community of people around me that I can be supportive of and that support me. Um, So I think that that is the foundation of family, in my opinion, is just being there for someone and showing up, just showing up for the relationship, whether that's a blood relative or, uh, you know, a friend or, uh, you know, a close confidant or a mentor, just showing up and being present and listening and doing the best that you can to be supportive. I think that that's at the foundation of it. I think that there's people that help you grow, that help you become a better person, that kind of, show you the ropes of like, this is how you learn and grow professionally, personally, spiritually, you grow in your relationship. I think to some degree, the people who are closest to me in my life, I always do this thing where I tend to kind of see who they are as a person. And then I want to kind of take something, a a lesson or take a quality from them. You know what I mean? Like
0: everybody has a good quality. Even the worst people have good
1: qualities. Exactly. Exactly. Some people are. It's easier to see the good qualities. <laughs> in.
0: Oh, I, I, <laughs> sometimes you have to pray to be able to see the good qualities of those people. I, I do agree with you on that. <laughs> I mean, some
1: some people, you know, uh, you know, some people, you have to be a little bit more patient before you have good quality. <laughs> but but you take and you absorb and you kind of just learn. Uh, you know, you know, this person's a great listener. This person is a good, loyal friend. This person, you know, shows up when I need them to show up. This, you know what I mean? There, there's these qualities in people that you tend to see. And that, that's why I think that we just recently started becoming friends, but I, I just gravitated, you know, towards you. I was like, this guy is really genuine. He gets it. Yeah. He has something valuable to say. He has perspective to give. And he's a, you're a great listener. Thank you. We've talked about this with other people, you know, a big part of showing support for different communities that you may not necessarily belong to is showing up and saying, this is what I've heard. And, you know, what do you think? Right. How can I be supportive? You know, what do you think? What do you think is the next uh, step or the next movement or the next? you know, thing that we need to do as a community to make us a more inclusive place.
0: Yeah, it's bringing people on the journey with you. It's all about that. Everybody's on the journey of some sort. <laughs> but yeah, yeah but exactly. sure out, Are we on the same journey? <laughs> do we need to be on the same journey? And then are we on the same journey? You know, actually, I actually don't know if that's the order, but whatever, I'm going to go with it. <laughs> 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 Anyways, man, I, you know, I enjoy you. I think you're great whatever the things you want people to know about you or, or to when when people think Eric Matos, what are they supposed to think of?
1: You know, I hope that people know that I strive to be the best version of myself on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. I think that's someone, something that drives me personally. I think that I would love to be known as a supportive person, uh, a good friend, a loyal friend and someone who genuinely and wholeheartedly wants to help make his community a better place i think that that is something that is at my core it's something that i'm passionate about i know that that sounds really cheesy but growing up in the closet i was admiring a lot of the gay movement the gay rights movement from afar and i think you know now that i'm a bit older a bit wiser and you know I'm able to kind of step, if I'm able to step into a position that helps uh, move us as a collective us, all of us uh, forward, if I'm able to contribute to the community, you know, it doesn't need to be this grand gesture. It could be as small as, you know, being kind to someone, it could be as large as, you know, trying to get more inclusive policies passed, you know, but just working and striving to help move uh, us as a society and as a community forward i think that if i could be known as a person with those qualities someone who genuinely tries their best and shows up then i think that i've
0: succeeded i think that's who you show up as I, I i can validate that so i appreciate it yeah you're i mean you're a great guy I, I do think your story is fun sorry go ahead what do you gonna say I was going to flip the script and just oh, jump into
1: the interviewer chair real quick, get a little comfortable.
0: Oh, boom. Okay. So, all right, all right people. So, we have a different uh, perspective here about to, ha- about to happen here. I want to know, you know, what's, what are the qualities or characteristics that you want to be
1: identified with? You know, what, what's someone, because I know that you're also very involved. Uh, you hold a very important position with the city as yeah. chair, I believe, of the Social Justice Task Force right now. Yeah. And I know that you have a genuine interest in uh, helping our BIPOC community thrive here mm-hmm. um, and in and broader Los Angeles County. Where do you see your
0: involvement? You, know, I in- you literally say exactly what I would say on that. So thank you. <laughs> really listening. So keep going. I'm trying to do you justice here. No, I love it. I mean,
1: what do you think your qualities are, or what are, you know, what are some things that you want to see? You know, I want to ask you that.
0: I think the biggest thing for me is impact. I think I've always lived my life around impact, but I think in my, in the past probably five to 10 years, I think I've been focused on a little bit more. Like, you know, how do I make an impact in the community for those less fortunate? How do I make an impact on the community for those that are like me, that, you know, may be going through a hard time and in general, just what is our legacy going to be? Like, who's going to come after us? How do we build those people? Right. There's all sorts of really talented and smart people out there that just have crappy situations. Sometimes we have really nice tools to be able to work with right? And then sometimes we got to scrap for them. I don't know what happened in the sense that from an empathy standpoint, but I feel like I can empathize with people in many situations, even people that actually, believe it or not, people that have even wronged me or have been awful to me. I can actually even empathize with them. And I do. I feel bad for them. I, I just can't have them in my life, but I do feel bad for them. right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're,
1: they're, they're missing out on you. I mean, their loss, I mean, come on,
0: you know, everybody has a story. So for me, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. I, I, you know, it's like, I feel, I think I feel a sense of confidence that I can actually help. Right. Because I think part of this too, is that, you know, my background, I was telling someone this the other day, I've always had to take chaos and make it into something that's productive. Like from the time that I was a very little kid, you know, like my parents had this joint custody schedule that was awful. It was like Monday with my dad, Tuesday with my mom, Wednesday with my dad, every Thursday with my mom, and every weekend with my dad. So I was literally in a different bed every night. So it's just you know, I'm not gonna say I'm in a different bed every night now, but. I'm just like, <laughs> No, no, but I, but it's like one of those things like, you know, things like that, you're kind of like, how do I make this into something that makes sense to me? So what I did as a kid is I, you know, carried like little suitcases places, <laughs> you know, I made sure I, didn't, made sure I didn't leave things behind, you know, that was the whole thing, right? It's just, that was an adjustment, right? One thing that I did as a kid. So it's like, I look at things and I look at the chaos around it and I try to find ways to simplify, you know, to kind of really make space for people to see a clear path and for people to really benefit from something more longer term that we can do, right? For example, you know, I think it's interesting to think about homelessness. And I think it's interesting to talk about um, economic development. And I think it's great to talk about, you know, public safety. However, if we're all people that are talking about it that are older, and we're not bringing in the concepts and the thoughts of those that are, you know, in their teens or twenties. I think, you know, those are the things that we need to make sure we're really thinking about because those are the people that are going to have to live with the consequences of our decisions, right? So That's so true. How do you make sure that you are being inclusive in every way along the journey, right? So I don't know. I just, I think about this stuff a lot and I think about, you know, how do you, you know, even with my company, right? So, you know, it's like I hire people that I think, you know, have have it in them, right? To do something, do something great, you know? And if it's, if it's just, if they want to be in a support role, that's fine. If they want to be in a leadership role, that's fine too. But the whole point is they have it in them, right? And so it's just that, you know, that's just kind of how I like to live my life,
1: <laughs> you know? That's a good way to live it, my friend. I mean, I think that, I think that what you said around, you know, first of all, just on a relatable level, the divorced parents thing, I totally get that part of life. It's so funny. Whenever I, well, not funny, but whenever I talk about, you know, my upbringing, people ask, where are you from? Right. Right. And then I have to explain, I have to explain this dance of, you know, oh, I had this kind of like, you know, with my mom and my dad and, you know, I went to high school in Los Banos, but, you know, I was at my dad's. Pretty often, you know, back and forth. And you always know a kid who grew up in, the, in with divorce in the home by like if they get it or not. Some people are like, oh, like two, you, you grew up where? Like two places? Like, oh, I don't get it. But then, like, then there's get, oh, yeah, your parents were divorced too. Oh, gotcha. But um,
0: yeah. <laughs> Some get there quicker like, than others. I guess, <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that's relatable. But I think that what you said around, including in the next generation is so important. I mean, at a local level, at a community level, at a business level, if we're not setting up people younger than us for success, then what are we doing for our future? You know what I mean? I I think that that's such a valid point. So thank you for saying that. And yeah.
0: I was asked by a professor to come speak at LMU. And so... I literally went to LMU with the struggles of City of West Hollywood. <laughs> I said, "I said, here's the situation. You know, and these are all public. These are all, you know, public scenarios that we know about, right? So things are um, around our social services, uh, things that, you know, around our homelessness numbers. And we've even gotten to, there's been cases or upticks up in terms of people um, identifying roofie cases, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I brought all those things before them and just said, hey, you know, what are your thoughts on some of these items? One of the best things that came out of that was like, someone's like, isn't there something called a roofie stick that you can get that you can put in your drink just to see if it's been roofie or not? And it's like, wow, <laughs> why didn't anybody in the government or private sector start implementing that almost right away? <laughs> right yeah this is yeah. just like there are so many little nuggets of information They're you know they're thinking just they're thinking big picture they're thinking creative but it was a really good dialogue and then you know the professor was super nice it's just it's stuff like that where you just kind of realize like this is what i do it for it's like i'm not really i just do it right because it's just kind of for me it's fun and you know when you see results like you i i just know there's gonna be results <laughs> right if i'm if i'm working with anything i know there's gonna be results the question is how long is it gonna to take to get there? And then, you know, what do they look like? But there's gonna be results. <laughs> so Yeah. I just you know, I just enjoy having kids there. So it's good. That's
1: awesome. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot more work to be done, but you know, uh it's important that people show up for it yeah. and and roll up their sleeves and are ready to do the work. Yeah. I appreciate you asking that question, I do. I admire your perspective very much. So you to ask.
0: Thank you. Thank you. We will do some great things together, my man. I'm not even questioning it. Yeah, I look forward to partnering down the line with you. I think we've talked about a couple things already, so but I think, yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of stuff for us to do together.
1: Absolutely. And we're and we're neighbors, so it's an easy short walk to come over and visit, or for us to go visit you. I mean, we live on the same street. I mean, come
0: on. Show by the pool. <laughs>
1: oh oh.
0: i'm in i'm in you don't gotta tell me twice i'm there i'll make a little skinny paloma for us or 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 for those or i'll make a version one too there you go i'll take the the virgin one i'll take the version there you go there
1: There you go there we go i love a good pool day
0: good all right, man. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate this. Oh, of course.
1: I had a great time. Yeah. I love having, I love being able to have this conversation with you. So thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate
0: it. Likewise, likewise. Outside the grid, it's all for show, I didn't know, I wonder what it meant to be